Um, today's teaching, uh, we've been talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, specifically uh, spiritual gifts and, and how they work and how they manifest themselves and, and what does this mean and what does it look like. And, and today's teaching can really be summed up in five letters. So I'm going to show you the five letters, let you think about them, chew on them. Go ahead, Stephen, you can put that first slide up there. Here are the five letters. Uh, all of today's teaching can be summed up in these five letters, U-I-O-G and D. Anybody have any clue? If you do, just keep it to yourself. You can think about it, let you chew on it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, it's Latin. Okay, I just wiped half of you out, right? Like, <laughs> but this is what uh, this is what today's teaching is all about. And really, it's going to come from two. Uh, I want to do it in two sections out of First Peter. The first section is First uh, Peter chapter four, verses seven through nine. So let's look at this text together. And Stephen, you could just leave this on the screen for a few minutes. Peter says. Like, like we all do. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Uh, if you look at these words, even this section in First Peter there's some, there's some really interesting tie-ins and parallels to some of Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus talking about his, his return in Matthew 25, he tells a series of stories. He begins by telling a story about some bridesmaids waiting for a bridegroom. And what ends up happening is that the bridegroom comes late at night at this unexpected hour and some of the bridesmaids just aren't ready. And he goes on to say, well, in the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this, this master who decided to go out of town for a long trip. And while he was gone, he gave talents or measures of money to three different servants to use in his place while he was gone. And when the master comes back, he goes to the servants and asks them to give an account of what, what they've done with what they've been given. And finally, Matthew 25 Speaking of his return, Jesus tells a story about a shepherd separating sheep and goats. And he talks about the least of these. And what I want you to see is in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus is talking about the same thing that Peter is talking about in the very first line of verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. He's talking about the certainty and the suddenness of Jesus' return. And for Peter, this is, this is an important starting point. Peter's mind is dominated by the thought that Jesus' return is near. The certainty and suddenness of Jesus Christ's return uh, compels us and induces all who believe to a couple of things. To, to, it, it compels us and induces us both to conviction and to commitment. You see, when people realize the nearness of Jesus Christ, for Peter, they, it binds them to commit themselves to a certain kind of life. And, and really, uh, Peter outlines four demands or four duties that, considering the nearness of Jesus, here are the four duties that are going to shape your life. 
He begins by saying, uh, the New Living Translation translates it earnest and disciplined, but, but it means clear-minded or sober. It's like driving at night or, or driving through a school zone. It's incredibly attentive. He goes on to say, uh, to be disciplined in your prayers, to preserve your prayer life, to always pray, to never stop. He goes on a little bit further and he talks about the duty of hospitality to cheerfully share your home. Do you get the Matthew 25 parallel where the person says, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in prison? And Jesus says, you remember what he says? I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. But most importantly, of all of these duties, considering the nearness of Jesus, of, of being clear-minded and, and having an active prayer life and practicing hospitality, he says, most importantly, love. Because love covers sin. The nature of love is to overlook sin. We talked a little bit about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? It always hopes. I love the verse in Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Love envelops wrong. And he says, Show deep love, or another version might say, continue to show deep love. And what that means literally is this picture. Go ahead, Stephen. That's the picture. That, that continuing effort of love, it, it literally means to stretch out fully. Like a runner straining for the finish line. Muscles tense. You see sustained, the sustained effort of an athlete. There's, there's no sentimentality about love in this. Do you see that? But it is strenuous effort of love. He said, when it comes to love, don't just take a casual walk around the track he says, stretch yourself. Are you with me? Stretch yourself in love. So that's the commitment. And, and what I want you to see also in these words is the conviction. I love what Barclay says about this passage. He says that Peter does not use uh, that conviction to urge people to somehow withdraw from the world. He doesn't use that conviction of the end of the world is coming soon. Jesus is going to return certainly and suddenly. And he doesn't use that as a conviction for people to withdraw from the world and enter into a kind of private campaign to save their own selves. No, he uses it to urge them and us to go into the world and serve others. Do you see that? He doesn't use Jesus' return as some sort of an excuse to just kind of focus on ourselves and he asked there's a penetrating question of this is is how will the end find you right that's the question of Matthew 25 
when the master returns, how will he find you? Will he find you in solitude, serving only yourself? Or will he find you serving others? Maybe serving himself in disguise. So for some of you, that's enough. You're like, whew, good, I'm good. I'm good for the week, stretch in love, I'm set. But for Peter, it's not good enough. He's a preacher, so he goes on and on. That's what happens. So look what he says in the next few verses, verse 10 and 11. This is where I really want to land today. He says, in light of this return that's certain and sudden, he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring, excuse me, will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. And the whole church says, amen. This is incredible language. Kind of each of you has received some special gift out of, out of uh, this, this stable of gifts that God has. Each of you is, is gifted through the manifold grace of God. So there's this whole piece of recognizing, wow, God actually has given me something. It makes me part of a family. And he invites us to use these gifts to serve others. But there's something the New Living Translation misses here. He says that we are to serve, use these gifts to serve others as good stewards. Good and faithful stewards of the gift. It's hard for us to understand that word steward. I, I know, I mean, do are any of you guys stewards? You have a have a steward that works for you, covers stuff, don't point at your wife, do not. A steward was a, was a kind of placeholder. When the master's away, a steward is, is the one who's left in charge. It was a household manager. Again, you see this picture, this con- these deep roots connections to Matthew chapter 25, specifically the, the parable of the talents. Jesus, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The master is going to go away on a long trip, and he's going to give to his servants talents. Specifically in Matthew 25, it's sums of money, large sums of money, substantial amounts of money. And with this money come some important messages and expectations of stewardship. There's an important message here for us about the stewardship of the spiritual gifts that God has given us. The first message is is that the money, the gift that God gives does not belong to the steward. Shall I say that again? The gift you have received from God actually does not belong to you. I think this is why Peter specifically picks two gifts. You ever wonder why, why did he p- pick preaching and helping others? 
There, I mean, there's a whole stable of gifts. Why did he mention these two specifically? And, it, and I think there's a connection. Because I, I think great preachers listen first and then speak. Some of the greatest teachers and, and, and preachers I know, uh, and maybe you've seen this, like, like I, I love this phrase. It, it was said of another preacher from another time that he would pause as if listening for a voice. Do you see that? I, and I think that's the secret of preaching power. You see, whoever has the duty or the gift of preaching must preach not as one offering personal opinions or passing on personal prejudices, but as one with a message from God. The servant or the helper works in the same way. They, they grasp that what they have to offer is not somehow from their own store, but that what they give, they first received from God. I think that's why he landed on preacher and helper. To show that like, like they're, they're no different than preaching and, and, and serving. It's, it's all recognizing that what they have been given does not belong to them. The money, the gift that the steward that we are called to be does not belong to us. That's maybe lesson number one. Lesson number two is that the master is going to return and he expects us to give an account of the gift we've received. If you remember the parable of the talents, the, the first servant receives this incredible gift, and he takes it, and he invests it, and he does this other thing, and, and the gift multiplies. And the second servant, the second steward does the same thing. He takes his gift, and he uses it, and he multiplies it. But there's a third steward. Here he is, like he's received this incredible treasure. You remember what he does with it? He buries it. I'm sure he was trying to do the noble thing by protecting it. Right? And when the master returns... He asked that each servant give an account. I have given you this incredible thing. What have you done with it? And when the third steward's time to give his report says, well, man, good thing I kept this nice and safe for you. Remember what the master says. You can look it up. It's not very nice. He is shamed because he had received this incredible thing and refused to use it. So lessons from this related to our spiritual gifts is that hey, this gift does not belong to us, and one day the master is going to return, and he expects us to give an account of the gift we've received. Maybe the simple message is to, to just, just do it. 
I, I, th- I love this, the language of Scripture. It says, use them well. Use them well. What I would tell you is that, is that the church, is that the kingdom needs every gift you have. There is no gift that cannot be placed at the service of Christ. And there's a penetrating question, and the question is, are you using what you've been given? Are you using what you've been given to serve one another? Maybe the third uh, lesson of the steward, and, and this one is, is kind of a side note, but I, but I do think it's important. The third lesson uh, for us and for them, for anyone who's received a gift from the master, is with each gift comes the opportunity to grow. If you remember the parable of the talents, the first two servants who refused, received this gift, like, like they, they actually grew as stewards. Did you see that? They used the gift they'd ha- they have, and they actually became better stewards. Isn't that fair to say? They, they grew as managers of this thing that they, they had been given. But what about that third guy who held on to what he'd been given? Like, I, I, I think this is a scary thing and, and an important thing, but, but something I, th- I feel like we see it happen in, in, in maybe the church and our culture far too often. If you recognize that God has given you some gift and you don't have a, either for whatever reason, you don't have opportunity or you choose to hold on to that gift or not use it or not apply it, what happens next? What opportunity for growth do you have? No, I, th- I think you, you kind of atro- atrophy in your faith. Have you? Is that a real thing? Can your faith kind of just kind of sit there and, and shrivel up? I think so. And so I think with each gift, there, there comes an opportunity for us to grow. And do you think the master knew that when he gave the gifts out? You think he gives us things maybe that sometimes we're not ready for? But he knows if we would just use it, if we would just apply it, then, then we would grow into it. I, I want you to be like those first two st- stewards. They grew from the gift they had received. And what I would say is, so can you. But if you're going to grow, and that's part of our message here at Aspen Grow, we want to see you grow as followers of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to step into this gift. And we want to create opportunity for you to use the gift that you have been given. Because if, if somehow you're not able to or not willing to, we, we know the consequence. Finally, the last lesson of the stewards. This is the big one. The steward knew in everything he did, he was answerable to his master. And always, it was his master's interest he must serve. It's, it's, it's in there in yellow. 
It says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That word glory in the, in the Old Testament, uh, it's a fun, uh, it's kind of a fun Hebrew word. It's kavod. Say that with me. Say kavod. So you just learned Hebrew. Um, kavod, like, like so many words in Hebrew, like it has this, this uh, I don't know, this array of meanings. Glory, kavod, it means it in one sense to praise or, or honor, for sure, for sure. That, that's a meaning. Um, but it means something else, too. The Israelites are, are, are led by the kavod of God in the wilderness. The kavod of God settles on the temple. Moses asked to see the kavod of God, but is granted only a glimpse. The kavod of God has uh, this other meaning. Um, how can I explain? Hey, Seth, could you come help me? Guys, this is Seth. How about a round of applause for Seth? He just woke up. Yep. All right, Seth, I want you to just hold your arms out. Like, like you're holding something. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now just kind of spread your feet, brace yourself, brace yourself like you're like you're really holding something. Look, let, let's see it in your face. You're nice. <laughs> that was actually better than I was expecting. That was so good. All right. Uh, this is not a trick question. What's Seth holding? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, nothing. Um, kavod is like this. Arms closer together. Okay, hold it above your head. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This, these are the, the snow chains from my Jeep. I don't know what else. Um, kavod is a word that means weighty. It means heavy. Kavod is, remember what, what Seth was holding first? Nothing. Kavod is the opposite of that. I'm what? I did wake you up. Don't steal my show. Um, if this is nothing, kavod is something. It means substance, heavy, weighty, honorable. Now, here. Yep. This, when we talk about 
God. This is what our world and culture thinks. But Peter says, when you use your gifts to honor God, you show them that God is this. Are you with me? When you use your gifts to glorify God, you show that he is not nothing. You show that he is something. You show that he is weighty and heavy and honorable. You show that God has substance. Let me show you, show you what I mean. Hospitality, inviting strangers into your home, that's not nothing. That's weighty. When you love others and forgive sins and cover over their sins, that's not nothing. That's heavy. When you love others, that's heavy. And our world sees that God is not nothing, but God is glorified. Sees that he is something. All right, Seth, you can take that with you. Go ahead. Yeah, just keep holding it. Teach you to steal my show. Five letters. Go ahead, Stephen, put them back up there. U-I-O-G-D. These five Latin letters come from the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, St. Benedict, I don't know if you, you heard Benedictine order, maybe makes you think of monks and monasteries and that, that kind of thing. St. Benedict, in 500 CE or AD, whichever one you like, 500 wrote a rule for how monks should live together and, and in accordance with God. Think about this. This, this rule of St. Benedict has been in place for 15 centuries. And these five letters are the motto of the Benedictine order, the motto of St. Benedict, of his rules for living together and living in light of God. And here's what, they, here's what it means. Go ahead, Stephen. I, I, I will just kill this in Latin, but it's ut in omnibus glorificato dus. In order that in all things God may be glorified. We are all stewards of God's gifts. And our big purpose here is to show that God is not nothing, but to use our gifts to show that God is something. 
you have received gifts from God to show the heaviness, the weight, the substance of God to the world. At Aspen Grove, we say every week we want to grow followers of Jesus Christ. But in light of this scripture, I recognize that may not be enough. Maybe we should have meant to say, we exist to grow as glorifiers of Jesus Christ. Psalm 115 puts it this way. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes the glory. In just a moment, I'm going to send you to a time of communion. Go ahead and invite our worship team to come back up. Around the room, we have the elements of communion prepared on tables. And as you take these elements, as you remember in yourself the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I ask you to consider again that you are stewards of God's gifts. I invite you to consider what gift he has given you or what gifts has he given you and to really consider, maybe ask yourself that pointed question, how am I using what I have been given to make God weighty in my family? How am I making God weighty in my workplace? How am I making God weighty with the way I drive and respond to traffic? How am I making God weighty on social media? I invite you to again, in all things, glorify God. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Um, God, I pray right now that like, even, even in this place that uh, maybe there are those that have questions and, and don't see or don't recognize you. Father God, I, I pray that right now, like somehow that, that maybe in, in their heart you would, uh, they, they would feel the weight of your presence. Father God, we're surrounded by so many who, who, who don't see, who don't believe Father God, help us, remind us, remind us that you have given us this incredible gift. Help us like the runner, Father God, to lean into it, to strain into it. Don't let us bury it. Let us use these things that you have given us, even, even as we go into this, this table. Let us repent of, of the times we've, we've held on to things for ourselves. God, help us. So that in all things, you may be glorified. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, everyone together says,